have your copy of Scripture, find 2 Samuel, please. 2 Samuel chapter 23, and we're going to read in just a few minutes, beginning at verse 20. 2 Samuel, Joshua and Judges, it's in the Old Testament, Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 and 2 Samuel. If you get to 1 and 2 Kings, you've gone too far. Back up and you'll find 2 Samuel. It's good to be back with our church family. We had a marvelous trip uh, to Israel, but it's wonderful to be, to be back. This, of course, is Graduate Sunday, and so as, uh, as always, I'm going to speak uh, to the graduates and hope that the rest of you will, will listen in. It is a topic I believe, I trust, is, is applicable to us all, whether we're looking forward to graduation or can barely remember our graduation. Today we're talking about being all in. <clears throat> now that was the theme of the spring camp this year. Carrie and I had, a, had the honor of going and had a great time at spring camp. All in uh, might have referred to the fact that these seniors made sure that we all got thrown in to the swimming pool, <laughs> including the sophisticated pastor of the First Baptist Church of Huntsville. But all in means more than all of us getting thrown in to the swimming pool. It's a, it's a phrase that implies uh, commitment. Coaches often use that phrase, all in, when they're talking about the commitment of their teams. Uh, Gene Chiswick, the coach of the Auburn Tigers a few years ago, wrote a book titled All In after they won their national championship. Coaches, coaches try to inspire their teams, of course. That's part of their role. And the, the speeches that coaches give in locker rooms at, at halftime and, and uh, before the game, they're, they're impressive. They're, they're inspiring. I remember one, one such speech by a coach. I was in the seventh grade, and I was playing for the Johnson Junior High School uh, football team. And Coach David uh, pointed me out. Coach David said, now look at Travis. He doesn't have much talent, but he plays with all his heart. <laughs> Which at first I took as a great compliment, and then, and then it kind of dawned on me what he'd, what he'd said, that Travis doesn't have much talent, but he, he tries hard. That's not, I still have mixed emotions when I think about that, that speech. There was another more famous speech by Coach Newt Rockney, maybe the most famous coach's speech ever, 1920, coaching uh, <clears throat> uh, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. They were playing Army, and, and that's when he said, win one for the Gipper. You remember that, of course. The legend has it that George Gipp, a, a former player for Coach Rockney was dying and from his deathbed said, Coach, one day uh, win one for the Gipper. And that's what Newt Rockney called on that day. They rallied, they beat Army 12 to 6 and won one for the Gipper. Coach Tom Osborne was the legendary coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. In, the in 1996 in the Fiesta Bowl, they were playing the Florida Gators and they beat the Gators fairly handily to win the national championship. Before the game, in the locker room, 
Tom Osborne quoted to his team 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. He said later that the reason he quoted that verse for his team was, I don't think you can accomplish anything and be timid. You have to be willing to stick your neck out. So I feel a little bit like a football coach, speaking not only to the seniors who have such great potential, but to all of us. And of course, I would love to encourage and inspire us not to be timid. Coach Osborne was right. You can't accomplish much being timid. 2 Timothy 1.7 is true. God has not given us the spirit of timidity. A few years ago, I picked up a book because its title was intriguing to me. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. It's based on a rather obscure story that we're going to read in in just a moment. We're going to read these words. Benaiah went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I confess I never had paid attention to that story. I didn't remember the name Benaiah, but it's a, to me it's a fascinating story. On a day when visibility was limited, when the footing was treacherous, a man named Benaiah chased a lion into a pit and killed him. Let's read about that, 2 Samuel 23, and we're beginning at verse 20. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30. And and pay attention to this. He was not included among the three. We'll talk about that. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. We'll talk about that. Now, I don't know why Benaiah went went down into that pit after the lion. Maybe the lion had killed one of the local children. Maybe the lion was threatening the local sheep. Maybe the lion had actually attacked Benaiah. We don't know, but but had we been watching from a distance, maybe we can imagine what it would have been like. Mark Batterson kind of paints the picture. Had we been watching from a safe distance, we if we'd seen the lion go into the pit and we'd seen Benaiah head in there after the lion, we might have yelled out, don't go in the pit, there's a lion in there. But he did. And And then had we been watching from a safe distance, we might have heard the ferocious roar of the lion and then the the sounds of a violent struggle. Then silence. We might have expected the lion to come crawling out of the pit with Benaiah's blood dripping from his jaws, but it wasn't the lion that came out. It was Benaiah. He stumbles a bit, perhaps. His, His blood stains the snow a bit, perhaps, but... But Benaiah has gone into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Let's notice a couple of things from the story. Number one, Benaiah was not among the top three. Verse 23, he was not included among the three. Now, what what does that mean? Well, if we had backed up to verse 8, we would have seen 
the three, the three mighty warriors. These were the legends. These were the celebrities. These were the three warriors that all young Israelite boys had their posters on their walls. Benaiah was not among the top three. He was mighty, but he was not among the elite when it came to mightiness. Why is that important to us? Because you and I are not always going to be in the top three either. We won't always be on the, in the starting lineup for the team or first chair in the orchestra or the band or top three in the robotics competition. We won't always be the president or vice president or assistant vice president or even know them. We might not always be the top three salespersons. We, we, might, we might be rather ordinary people but you don't have to be in the top three you don't have to sit at the table with the cool kids you don't have to be in the boardroom to to live an extraordinary life for in the way that God measures things extraordinary does not mean extra pretty or handsome it doesn't mean extra talented or extra famous or extra Wealthy, it, the way God measures things, extraordinary means a, a commitment to what we call the great commandment, to love God and to love people. Extraordinary means the willingness to do what is right, what is moral, what is ethical, what is just, even when it's costly. Extraordinary means the willingness to step up, to do things that others would shrink from. Think about the early Christians. The Bible describes them as very ordinary people, not especially educated or wealthy or gifted. But they lived extraordinary lives, born into anonymity. They lived in simplicity and died in obscurity, but they, but they lived extraordinary lives. They changed the world. You don't have to be among the elite to live an extraordinary life. Second, Benaiah was made the bodyguard of David. Verse 23, David put Benaiah in charge of his bodyguard. Benaiah had demonstrated uncommon valor, extraordinary courage. And David said, that's the kind of guy I want in charge of my elite forces. It seems that God gives us opportunities to see how we will respond and then when we respond well he it's as if he gives us bigger and more challenging and more significant opportunities it's like Benaiah was tested and when he was willing to go into a pit with a lion on a snowy day it was like God said I'm going to give him a bigger role in my in my kingdom Joshua is an example. Joshua, remember when they, they had just left Israel, or excuse me, left uh, Egypt, and Moses sent 12 spies out to see if they could take the promised land, and 12 of them came back and said, no, we can't. The challenges are too great. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do this. It's like God made a mental note, and 40 years later when Moses died, God said, I want Joshua to lead my people the Bible says in Luke 16 10 whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much not that going after a lion in a pit is a little thing but I hope you get my point that 
It's as if God gives us opportunities to demonstrate courage, to demonstrate our ethical and moral convictions. And when we, when we respond appropriately, God, it's as if he's building our resume and preparing us for bigger and better things. I want to say to our, to our graduates and to all of us, there's coming a day when you will decide what is most important to you. Popularity or convictions. There's coming a day when you will decide what is most important to you. Convenience or principles. There's coming a day when you will decide what is most important to you. The applause of earth or the applause of heaven. Choose courageously. Choose rightly. Choose conviction over over popularity. Choose principle over Convenience, choose the applause of heaven over the applause of earth. The hard thing is, or the good thing is often hard. The, the right choice, choice is often costly. I know, I, I spent the first 22 years of my life making almost always the easy choices. And there's some things I regret from that. And I still, I still don't always make the the right and hard choice. But when I do, I sense a deep peace. When I do make the hard and right choice, I, I sense a purpose. And I even sense the, the smile of my Father I, in heaven. I, I sense an intimacy with Him that I don't know when I make the, the easy choices. Make the hard but right decisions. This year, the theme of our student ministry has been dive. Now, the, the camp was all in, but, but the theme of the, the year was dive, and it, it, it implied the, the willingness to dive into our faith, to dive into the scriptures, and not just sit on the side of the pools with our feet in the water, but to dive. And since that's the theme, I want to tell you my favorite diving story. When I was uh, 16 years old down in Anniston, there was, a, there was a girl that was kind of a friend of mine. We ran in the same circles. We weren't close friends, but she went to a different school than I did. But again, we ran, had the same circle of friends. And because she was such an outstanding athlete, everybody knew Jenny Chandler. Uh, Jenny Chandler uh, worked hard at her her craft, her, she, she built her skills, she honed her skills, she strengthened her muscles, she, she trained down the road in, in Decatur at the water park, Point Mallard. In fact, the, the diving platform down there is named for her, Jenny Chandler. Now, most of us, most of my friends, we did stuff like, like Circle McDonald's. Did you ever, anybody ever do that? You know, you... You go through several times just to see who's there and to be seen. And when we were doing really important stuff like that, Jenny Chandler was, was practicing and preparing. I remember driving by one time, don't remember where we were headed, but seeing Jenny out there in the yard. She had one of those round um, trampolines, and she was jumping to strengthen her muscles and to work on her balance. 
And then in the summer of 1976, which I know feels like ancient history to you guys, in the summer of 1976, in Montreal, Canada, at the end of a diving competition, there were three platforms. To one side was the bronze medal winner, the third place winner. To the other side was the silver medal winner and the second place winner. And in the middle stood the best diver in that event, the three-meter dive in the entire world. And a young lady who had persevered at practice and preparation while her peers partied and played received the the most coveted prize, I guess, in all of athletics, Jenny Chandler, received the Olympic gold medal. And all the rest of us could do was, was just watch from television. The Bible talks about the Olympic prize as a symbol, an image of an eternal reward in, in, in the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 from the message we read. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal, a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You, however, are, are after one that's gold eternally. I don't know how it's going to all work out, but but the Bible says there's going to be a reward forever for those who are faithful who are faithful to the Lord Jesus, who trust Him and not their own goodness, who are faithful to His call, who are faithful to His words, who are faithful to, to that which we know to be the truth. But you don't have to wait until then to be rewarded. When you choose conviction over popularity, there's a deep inner, inner reward. To choose principle over convenience results in a deep inner reward. To choose the applause of heaven over the applause of earth gives you a deep sense of inner reward. Choose well, choose that which is right but hard, and right almost always is hard we just got back from Israel of course and um, and we had a great opportunity to go to the a private side of the Garden of Gethsemane if you've been there there's a, the Church of All Nations is there it's it's where Christian pilgrims come and it's just crowd, very crowded with people but our, our guide made us made it possible for us to go to the across the, the road to the a more private part of the garden where, where it's not crowded and where it looks much more like it would have looked 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus was there. And we had the opportunity to pray. We had the, the opportunity to remember two millennia ago when, when the Lord Jesus agonized over what decision he would make. He was, he was fully human and and fully divine so he knew the power of divinity but he also knew the vulnerability of humanity and he struggled in his humanity he struggled with what was coming he knew he had seen a Roman crucifixion he knew how brutal and awful they were he he, he had read first he had read Isaiah 53 that talks about the 
the brutal hellish price he would pay for our sin and he knew what was coming and so in his humanity he prayed father if it if it be your will if it if it's possible let this experience pass from me nevertheless he prayed not my will but yours saying that to the father and jesus made a the right but hard choice within a few hours he would stretch out his hands and die and take upon himself our sins thus defining history dividing history changing history there's coming a time when when all of us will have a decision to make we'll have to choose what is most important to us popularity or conviction convenience or principle the applause of earth or the applause of heaven choose well choose right choose what is hard and often costly be all in do that which is right and and get the gold we're going to sing a hymn of invitation so that you may make a decision 629 is that hymn 